Hey there, and welcome to the daily podcast where wisdom smacks us with kisses or love taps. I'm Michelle Spiva, a wisdom strengthening coach, your host, and practical priestess of wisdom. Join us daily to gain wisdom and mental strength as we tackle innovative thinking, address emotional and behavioral life traps, and yes, provide you with some practical how-tos to wrap it all up. So settle in or crank up the speed 2x, whatever gets your mental processes firing as we dive in. Stay tuned. All right. Hey, this is Michelle Smybe, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom, with today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. Come on in the room, because we got something to share. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about all this opportunity that is in the air, mon chéri. Yes, there is opportunity all around us. And those who have eyes to see, ears to hear, and feet to act. Let's get into it and get this opportunity. So join me on the flip as we talk about three steps to take to strengthen your ability to not only see opportunity, but to seize it and make it your own. I'll see you on the flip as we talk about how to seize your opportunity. Hey there, thank you so much for joining me on The Flip. Let's go on and get into it. So today we're going to be talking about how to seize your opportunity. And what I mean by that is, I mean that there are a lot of things happening all around us and it takes some skill, it takes some insight, innovation, inspiration, and all of those other things that cause you to break your normal pattern to be able to see and to seize them. And so Today, we are talking about how to do that very thing. And I just want you to know, opportunity is all around, especially when there is chaos, when you have situations that look like they are insurmountable, hard, or whatever. That is where opportunity loves to hide out. Because someone said in the by and by that opportunity shows up disguised like hardship and work. So let's get to it. So the first thing I want to impress upon you is to stop missing your clues. Now, you might say, Michelle, missing my clues. What do you mean? I mean, there is a way to get a clue. And the way to get a clue is to understand the pathway or the path of perception specifically yours. Understand how you process what you see, how you think about it, and even how you see it in the angle that you see it. And I am going to say that understanding the pathway of your perception, meaning how you think about things, is not going to be a walk in the park because for the most of us, if you haven't been listening to this podcast and and going along with it and growing, most of us are blind to the very things that make us us. You see, there are there are, <laughs> there are so many things around us that we interact with, that we do, and that someone, and usually it's not us, someone is aware of. 
And so when we talk about how to get a clue, that means that you have to start, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to start learning how to see the signs and the signals because someone is always signaling and someone and that signal is usually meant for those who can see, those who can catch the clues that are going on. And you might be like, well, what do you mean catch the clues, the signals and all of that? Are you talking about conspiracy and crazy stuff? I am not. What I am talking about is the very basis of how we interact and that is information. Now, a little while ago, I told you that information is currency, and it still is. And when we look at currency, currency is not necessarily money, but currency is value. Currency is that thing that we agree upon to use for transactions. It is that component that um, represents value, and it is also a way to... um, you. It's usually a way to uh, quickly and easily render unto each other exchanges. Now, currency as we know it in today's world is paper and coin money of a country. But I'm telling you now that the bigger currency out there that does not require the coinage and the paper money is going to be information. And I just need you to understand that someone is always collecting it to use it, uh, to uh, exchange it. And a lot of times that information is being collected on you and me to use it for us, to give it to us or to use it against us. And so to be able to get a clue requires that you start opening your eyes to see the various clues of what is going on. And that means watch the information. If the information is uh, monotonous, if it is not monotonous, but if it is uh, incessant in the same thing over and over again, that is called programming. If information uh, comes to you and it is visceral, it is a pattern interrupt, it is, oh, I didn't see that coming then that is going to be information that is sent to do that very thing, catch your attention. If you see information that the majority of people ignore, but it is prevalent and it is around, it is the information that is hidden in plain sight. And if you see information that is tantalizing and promises you uh, great advancement uh, for uh, being able to search it out and it's secreted away, that is going to be information that is tracked, okay? Now, I I don't expect you to be able to be like, oh, okay, I definitely know how to interact with all these different types of information. I am simply here in the limited time we have to make you aware that you need to be on your game because I don't think anything I've said about the different types of information that are turned into currency is anything that you're not familiar with. You know, Um, again, signaling code, if you will, Wordplay, semantics, um, all of these things are are right here in plain sight. Now, let me see if I can cover this in like about 90 seconds. And the reason why it's so important to start with information when you're start when you're trying to figure out how to get a clue, how to stop missing the clues that are swirling around you, is to go back and understand that the first code 
And yes, you are a coder. If you are able to communicate in any way, whether it is verbally, uh, whether it is through signing or written or singing or anything that allows you to successfully communicate thoughts and ideas to another person, that means that you are a coder because uh, our ability to communicate was the first form of code ever put together. Okay. And you might be saying, well, it seems like dogs and, and, and packs communicate to each other and you would be right. Code is not exclusively for the upper uh, limits of our uh, intellect. Code is a base for what we have. And so that's the thing that I want you to understand. Do not ignore the codes that are all around us. And for us, the easiest way to start is with information. And the reason why information was the first major code is because it was the first thing that was required when uh, way back the Sumer- Sumerians and all of them, they, they needed a way to track people, meaning a census, and to track goods and services, meaning numbers. And so they came up with these numbers and they started to put them on clay tablets and basically accounting. <laughs> yes, accounting. Um, and then once uh, that became an established norm a- amongst a small group of people called scribes, they went on to put little things in on the side notes, like a check-in. How's your family doing? I heard you had a new baby. Blessings to you and all this kind of stuff. Now, this is the fun part. And that, not fun part, but the ah part. It was that a lot of times the rulers of these ancient cities did not speak or know this code. And so you could have messages sent in broad daylight between different scribes, depending on who was savvy enough to pay them, to send it to certain people, to get the information that they wanted or to send information that they needed to send right under the nose. And so when we talk about seizing your opportunity and stop missing your clues, we're talking about understanding these signals and these codes and this information and why it is so important. Okay. All right. So now that I've hopefully gotten your, your, your mental processes excited enough to be like, oh, let me survey my world. Let me look for these different informations that are right in front of me. Let me look for the recurrent ones. Let me look for the ones that are pattern interrupts. Let me look for the ones that are uh, incessant, but uh, nobody pays attention to them. Let me look, let me look. And a side note, but it's not in my notes, but it keeps coming to me. So I'm going to go on and say it. I'm going to tell you, if you want to start getting a clue, Check in on C-SPAN, one, two, three, however many those are, with those quote-unquote boring uh, legislative meetings and things, you know, if you're in the U.S. You'll be surprised at the information that is given. To me, C-SPAN is the Twitter of the, um, the government because you can't fake it. They're not, that's not a scripted show. And they know that a lot of people are not watching. So they tend to be a little more real with uh, things. I mean, it takes a lot for a C-SPAN clip to make it into mainstream. And yet and still, it is free for all to see 
But because it's not entertaining and because you might have to work through and wade through a lot of the um, esoteric even, you know, the, the strange that you're not familiar with, all the terminology that they use in that closed sector, it still offers you signals and clues of things that will help you to seize your opportunity. Okay, so the the next thing. So after uh, you start learning to stop missing your clues, to get a clue by investigating and understanding information as code and currency, understand this, that you must start evaluating to the point where you know your own thinking process. Yes, know how you think. We've talked about that many times here, but let me put it hopefully in a, in, a, in a fresh new way, saying the same thing. There are two types of thinking that are useful, highly useful, that we should learn how to consciously manage in our life. And that's going to be divergent and convergent thinking. Now, by divergent thinking, it's going to be that thinking that is off the beaten path. It is where creativity and genius lies. It is that thinking that causes us to uh, de- destruct uh, every construct that is known and agreed upon to look at the components to see if they can be put together in a different manner or if they can be made more efficient or if uh, there can be an update uh, to, to build upon a new way of looking at something. And so divergent thinking is usually going to be either an individualized endeavor or an endeavor with a small group. Divergent thinking causes you to put skin in the game because a lot of times it is not necessarily perceived as something that is a quality. You can find that if you engage in divergent thinking uh, in certain circles, you might get persecuted for it. Let's, let's, Let's just go on and say that. But yet and still, divergent thinking is one of the main components that you must start developing within yourself to understand your thinking process and to up your ability to process. All right, so we've got divergent thinking that goes away from the norm and goes into creative genius territory. We've talked about the genius code and all of that. Then we have convergent thinking. And convergent thinking is not general consensus. Nope. Convergent thinking is when after you have done these types of divergent off the beaten path against the norm, taboo even, um, exercises in your thought processes, you then converge with others who have done similar to come up with new and innovative ways to help move something along. So convergent thinking is when all of these different divergent ideas come together to coalesce in some type of order that makes their combined effort way different. And you might be saying, well, how how do I do that? Well, for one, you're already doing it. It's usually, conversion thinking is usually going to be found in areas where you tend to brainstorm, to have shared likes, um, to congregate, if you will, with people who are going after something similar. 
a lot of times you are in Facebook groups, you're in Discord groups, you're in other groups, if you will, um, of people who are like-minded, who are sharing what they're doing to achieve their goal. That is a place for convergent thinking. And it is only as good as those who who are divergent, who are willing to come back and share. That is why a lot of times with these groups, the people who are trying to put them together try to extol the value of contribution by people. You notice they don't ask you a lot of times to believe what they say. Instead, they want you to tell them either what you believe or what you're doing or how you're viewing things. So this divergent thinking allows us to start knowing our learning processes by causing us to have to go off the beaten path and think without necessary necessarily receiving feedback like, oh, you're doing well. No, it is where you go off, you do your thing, and you don't get any feedback from anybody else. Another thing about knowing your thinking process, to know your thinking process is to understand uh, the path of your perception. So it's not only something to start developing uh, a, a knowledge for thinking differently from others, it's to also understand the path of per- perception. Now, I want to say this before I go too too far into this path of perception, and that is Knowing your thinking process is very important, not only so that you can think for yourself and you can know how you think, but it is important because once you start understanding this and looking for the clues and the information that we just talked about, you start to develop self-confidence. And self-confidence is needed if you're going to seize and tackle and take down opportunity, okay? So just understand that there's a reason why you want to make sure and certain that you engage in these things because the more you do them, the more you get a sense of knowing about yourself that translates into accurate confidence. All right, so understanding the path of perception. I borrowed this from Don Don Norman's The Design of Everyday Things, and it is very powerful. He teaches a process that designers use to get people to use the things that they design without requiring an instruction manual or a uh, uh, illustration of how to use it or demonstration. I'm sorry, I used the wrong word or any of that kind of stuff. And the pathway that it's done, he calls it visceral behavioral, reflective. So there are three paths that he says that happens with good design. So the first one being visceral. And we know visceral. Visceral is that instinctive. uh, It bypasses the logic to affect us in a a way that is immediate and that is uh, um, impulsive. And so when we get uh, interaction with uh, an object, he says, it should be an instinctive reaction to it, to engage with it. But then he talks about behavioral. So once that instinct to behave, to interact with something happens, the next step is behavioral, where we start getting into the emotions of how we 
perceive it and it gets in. So it's kind of like the pathway of visceral being in the back of the brain, the primary uh, primal brain where the desire happens. Then we move to the middle part, which is behavioral, where the emotions, the seat of emotions are because emotions trigger our behaviors. Okay. And so we move into the behavioral. But then he talks about the third. And he says a lot of times people don't uh, use as much time on this one. But this is the one where you must start when you're building something for people to use. And that is the reflective. And so when he talks about the reflective, he is actually talking about that logical process of interacting with what a person has created to uh, be able to use it. And it takes more mental power, but it also reflects back to the person um, what they're thinking to help them uh, be deliberate. He talks about being deliberate and using reasoning when they're interacting with it. He uses a great example about uh, the design of doors and then the design of uh, his refrigerator. It's very insightful, but I just wanted to uh, let you know uh, or set it up for you to start to understand that this is no different than our pathway of how we perceive. To perceive is how you think about something. Uh, Whereas perspective is how you view something. So our pathway for um, uh, perception is going to be, you guessed it, visceral, behavioral, reflective. So the first time we interact with something, it's an instinct. Then the middle part of the brain moves in where we get some type of feeling about it. If you don't like the word emotion, it's a feeling about it or a tone, if you would, a mood. We could even go there. But then after those things happen and they happen in a a, a flash of an eye to to be to be real, once we excuse me, once we work with that, then we get into the thoughtful contemplation of the reflective part of what we feel. That is why a lot of times people uh, talk about deep thinking as opposed to parroting. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, too. Um, but understanding your thinking process, if you are a person who, and we, you know, let's just call it what it is, visceral and behavioral, visceral, it catches your attention and and you have an immediate instinctual reaction to it. Then behavioral, you start to feel about it. A lot of people stop at this point. And have you ever read headlines and was like, oh, oh, and you start forming a behavioral thought pattern about what you're seeing. That's because you have stopped at the behavioral level, the middle level. You haven't moved into the reflective, thoughtful level. Well, you had to meditate a little bit on this. You got to turn it around to see all the sides because understanding the path of perception strengthens your ability to have perspective. Let me say that one again. Understanding your path of perception, when you go through the three that we're borrowing from Mr. Norman about the design of stuff, if if you have good design that's made for people to use, don't you think you have to have good mental processing to create that design? Yeah. So understanding your path 
of how you think about stuff strengthens your ability to see stuff in various different angles. And it is because you now understand that you're going to have some type of instinctual reaction to stuff that bypasses your thoughts and your feelings. It's going to immediately get you to go something like, oh, you know, but then You move immediately into the behavior. What do I feel about this? What is the mood that this puts me in? That's the behavioral. But then if you take the moment to start reflectively interacting with it, meaning that it's thoughtful, it's meditative, it is is contemplative, that's when you start triggering that ability to turn things over. And the reason why you want to do this is because when you're trying to seize opportunity, you have to make sure and certain that you're seeing as many angles as possible, lest you miss the opportunity. Because remember, opportunity shows up disguised as either uh, hard work or danger Mm -hmm. or problems. So you have to get to a better understanding of the path of perception that you take. And speaking of that, you want to look at areas where you may have been parroting beliefs based on your polarized position on something. What do I mean by that? I mean, are you spouting uh, rhetoric that sounds good to your soul because that is part of the social contract you've agreed to in the group you've agreed to ride or die with, when you find yourself parroting, that means that you have to go back through that path of perception to get past the behavioral, get past what you feel, the emotions, and get to the reflective. I heard someone yesterday say, slow down when you get stuff to take, give yourself time to think. And I thought it was apropos because I was like, that's what she's, she's, she's simply going through the path of perception from visceral to behavioral And then on to reflective, encouraging people to reflect on what they think they think. And that uh, helps you to avoid just parroting and spitting out the programmable information that you receive readily without understanding its currency, its value, and, and if it's being done to you or for you. Okay? So uh, let me review. So we've talked about on how to seize your opportunity. We've talked about how to stop missing your clues. We've talked about knowing your thinking process. We've talked about divergent and convergent thinking and understanding the path of perception where you move past visceral and behavioral to get to the reflective part so that you can expand your, your knowledge and your ability to consider various different angles. And this in turn causes you to have a greater self-confidence when it comes to being able to see and take opportunity. So the next thing is to uh, work on getting your priorities in order. And so the first thing is, is to work on your reputation. Now, reputation is a a lifelong thing. It is, uh, uh, sometimes it's an elusive goal for some. But I I like the way... um, 
let's see, what's this? Uh, Patrick Bet David from Value Tame, and he's got a um, insurance company, and he um, he, he uses this uh, YouTube channel um, for uh, MindFlow uh, for business people, and he put one out about reputation. I was like, let me see what Patrick is talking about, and so he talked a little bit about how to take advantage of opportunities. Now he started out with reputation, and I thought he was going to go one way, but what he talked about was is that. You can seize the opportunity of right now because there's a reset. As we all know, nothing is the same. And you can change or start from scratch and rebuild your reputation in today's environment. And so he talked about uh, shifting uh, perspectives. And he 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 did it in three. But I'm going to parallel that with... um, the sectors that we're familiar with in society. So what he did was, as he said, um, if you want to change your reputation and take advantage of things, he talked about three uh, types of people. He said the lead dog, the responder, and the late bloomer. And as the the titles suggest, the lead dog is the one who goes in and takes things by the reins. The responders see what the lead dog is doing and then they come running. And then the late bloomers, are like, oh, okay, I guess it's safe to come in, and then they do that. Now, there is a very popular market segment indicator of behaviors, consumer behaviors for people, and it is um, it is actually broken down into five segments. So, really quickly, the first segment is going to be the um, the innovators, and that would be equivalent to his lead dog. Uh, uh, scenario of, of he talks about going in and, and just doing things without looking and waiting for permission. Uh, but then he talks about the responders and the responders are going to be the early majority. And so, I mean, excuse me, the early adapters, excuse me. So the early adapters are going to see what the innovators are doing and then they're going to see like, oh, okay, so you didn't get killed. So let me go in. Okay. Now, between the responders and the late bloomers, there's this whole majority of people that I thought, hmm, okay, I wonder if he meant to not put them in. But the majority, whether it be early majority or late majority, they are the ones that, for the most part, dictate our social contracts of how we behave and what we expect. But yet and still, they are also uh, willing to give up their their assertiveness in developing their own reputation. And the reason why is because to develop reputation, you guessed it, requires some risk and skin in the game where you run the risk of being wrong. And the majority does not have that luxury to be wrong and out there by themselves. And so to seize opportunity, unfortunately, beloved, I need to just go in and tell you, it's going to involve some risk and it's going to involve some early, early action. Mm -hmm. It means that you have to leave from the majority into the early adapters. Now, you don't have to be that quote unquote lead dog as he talked about, but you do you do have to be early in that. Now, if you want to be lead dog, great. Good for you. But understand that you are working on getting your priorities in order 
And the next part about getting your priorities in order is that very thing. To understand the, the, the rules of engagement and understand the game that you are playing. And what I mean by that is understand at this particular time that there are agents of chaos all around, real, imagined, and otherwise. And in order to build your reputation, in order to be able to get the opportunities uh, unveiled to see you, you have to be willing to take on a certain amount of risk and move forward and not be stymied by what that risk might cost you if you lose. So, I only have a few seconds. Let me just recap really quickly. When you're trying to seize your opportunity, you need to get a clue. You need to understand your thinking process and you need to build your reputation and be able to take on more risk. So guess what? Yeah, my time is up. I thank you for yours. This has been Michelle Spivey, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom with today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe and check out the show notes. And I thank you for joining me. Have a wonderful rest of your day. I am going to see you later. Bye. And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.